you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Is I want to read a few verses. I want to talk to you this morning about and preach on the entirety of the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, but, uh, but I want to read to you specifically 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16. So we'll read those. I'll give you just a minute to find them, and we'll read those verses together. And then we will go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. And then I would ask even after that that you'd continue to pray that I'd just preach what God would have me to preach this morning the way that God would have me to do it. 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. Thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, I just pray this morning as we move forward in this service that your will would be done here this morning. God, that's our heart's desire. That's all that we want. And so, Lord, we're just asking. We invite your presence in here this morning. We're asking, Lord, that you would move upon each and every one here. Lord, You, the Bible tells us you are the searcher of hearts. Lord, there's nothing that you don't see, nothing that you don't know, nothing hidden from you. Not a single person showed up here this morning that surprised you. You knew it all. You knew it from before the foundation of the world. So, Lord, I'm just praying here this morning, God, that you would just have your way and your will here in, in our midst. God, that you'd move upon the heart of each one that is here. God, that you'd convict us of where we fall short. Lord, because the most important thing is our walk with you, our relationship with you. Lord, if there's any among us here this morning that doesn't know you, any that are lost and undone, any that are backslidden, any that are just not sure where they stand with you this morning, oh God, let today be the day that they would come to themselves. Let today be the day that they recognize where they are and where they need to be. Let today be the day that they would wholeheartedly turn to you and surrender it all to you. You tell us in your word, behold, now is the day of salvation. And God, I pray also, Lord, I need your help. I, I can't preach without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So Lord, I'm asking for your help this morning. Clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning. Lord, my heart's desire, Lord, is just to preach, Lord. It did come from you through my spirit to theirs as one dying man to another. And so, Lord, I'm just asking, preach me one more time here this morning, and I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking for your, your anointing, your holy unction. Have your way and your will. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.
So, okay, so there's three books of the Bible right here close together that's similar in name. There's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, all right? And they're in that order, right? I just read to you a portion of 1 Timothy. The next book after that is 2 Timothy, and then immediately after that is Titus, okay? So we have three letters written to two young pastors, all right? Timothy was a young pastor. Titus was a young pastor, all right? Both of these are men that had uh, gotten saved and answered their call under Paul's ministry. And here Paul is writing letters to these young ministers to uh, help them in the things that they are going to face and deal with or are already facing and dealing with. That's why usually you see these referred to as the pastoral uh, uh, letters or epistles, right? Uh, is because they are, uh, they're offering help, right, to these, uh, to these men who are trying to fulfill God's calling upon their lives as pastors. But yet these three books contain a whole lot more that is valuable to us and to the church and to Christians, right? It's not like these three books are only pertain to a pastor. So if you're not a pastor or going to be a pastor, then you've got no reason to read these. That's not even close to the truth because there is a lot of valuable teaching for believers and for local churches, right, alike today. And so I just want to kind of walk through uh, First Timothy here, and I want to point something out to you that the Lord has kind of burdened my heart with. So as we look through and we look at First Timothy, if you were to go through and you were to study the entire book of First Timothy, you would find it kind of laid out this way. All right, you, you would see in chapter 1 that Paul is, re, is reminding Timothy, right? Remember, 1 Timothy is a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, a young man he re, literally refers to as his son in the faith, right? A young man who has, answer, who has saved and answered his call under Paul's ministry, a young man that, that is probably Paul was a part of the ordaining when he was ordained and sent out to pastor and so Paul in 1 Timothy he reminds Timothy in chapter 1 uh, that God has not only entrusted the ministry to him that's the first half of the chapter but in the second half he also reminds Timothy that God has enabled him to faithfully fulfill his calling he's reminding him of the charge and, and all of that is true to us today I don't care whether you're pastor or, or whatever if God asks you to do something right God will uh, God will enable you to fulfill that, whatever it is. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the words. He'll give you what you need to do what he's asked you to do, right? I mean, that's, that's basic Christianity 101, I guess you could say. And so anyway, so that's chapter 1. And then you go to chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you can see Paul is, is explaining the very aspects of, uh, of, of the local church and, and so like for instance in chapter 2 he starts out uh, explaining the role of prayer in the local church and then he goes on and probably one of the more controversial parts of, uh, of the letter he explains the role of men and the role of women 
in the church, right? And, and it makes it and it makes it clear, right, that there is um, complementary. I think is the right word, right? That that the, the, the men have a role and the women have a role, and they complement each other, and they each have specific uh, jobs and responsibilities. And so he 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 explains that. And then you start into chapter three, and you have the qualifications that are listed there of a pastor and the qualifications of a deacon. And then here in this last few verses, the one that I've read to you this morning, you have the, the setup of the local church. You have uh, the gospel, the whole message lined out there and probably one of the most concise statements in all of Scripture. And then you move on to chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul speaks about the aspects of, of a pastor's ministry, right? His, his call to preach the Word, right? And, and that call is not just the pastors, it's to all of us, right? Our call is to proclaim, to announce, to share the Word of God, to get the Word out, right? Uh, it, but it doesn't stop there, right? I mean, come on, if you just talk about what the Bible says, if you just tell people what the Bible says, says. See, Paul goes on and explains to Timothy uh, in the next part of, of chapter 4, he tells him that not only has he got to proclaim the word of God, to preach the word of God, to share the word of God, but he also has got uh, to live the word of God, to practice the word of God in his daily life, right? I mean, think about it for just a minute. What is it that you call somebody who will tell you uh, that you're, you're wrong and that you're sinning, that you're not living right, right? What do you call somebody that will come to you and preach to you about whatever it is they see wrong in your life, but yet they don't practice it or live it in their own life? They throw a special word for that. I believe it's called hypocrite, right? Paul is telling Timothy, look, you've got to preach the word, but you can't just preach the word, you've got to live the word. Christians, that does not apply to just pastors. It definitely applies to pastors. Now look, I've told my kids and, and, and reminded them and made sure they've understood from the very beginning that you live in a glass house. And I mean, as, as, a, as a pastor and pastor's family, right, we're to set the example and everybody is watching and the first time you stumble or fall, they're going to point the finger and that's going to be the reason that they have, they're going to use you or me or whoever as an excuse for them not to go to church no more, for them not to serve God no more, for them to go out and do what it is they wanted to do all along anyways. You just give them an excuse. Now, that won't cut it on Judgment Day, right? You, you know that, right? You realize that, right? Every one of us is going to have to answer for our own actions and our own decisions and whether we accept Christ or reject Christ, right? And on Judgment Day, every one of us is going to have to answer for ourselves. You'll not be able to point to a hypocrite and say, yeah, but they were a hypocrite. Do you know how many times I have heard people, I can't even count, I asked you, do you know how many times? It's not like I can give you the answer because I don't know. But how many times I have heard, right, I'm trying to get the point across. So I've heard this a bazillion times, it feels like. How many times I've heard somebody say, well, I'm never going to go to that church or I'm never going to go to church because there ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites in there. Oh, I agree with you completely. There is a bunch of hypocrites. I ain't ever been in a church house where there ain't a bunch of hypocrites sitting in. I, I got news to you for you. You ain't going to like this, but there's few hypocrites, I'm sure, sitting here this morning. I'm sure there's probably some aspect in every one of our lives where we've been, each one of us has been at least a little bit hypocritical. 
But here's the response that I've got. They say, I'm not going to go down there. I can't go down there and sit in that church house with that hypocrite or with that going on, right? My goodness, they sat back there. This is the thing that amazes me. It seems like the person that's going to be offended by everything that everybody else does sits in the back row and they just watch what everybody else does. And then they say, oh, well, I see this and doing this and this and doing that, and there ain't no way I'm going to go to church and sit with them. Can I give you one of the best pieces of spiritual advice you're ever going to hear? If that's you, if that is, look, all of us have got our shortcomings, all of us have got our faults, all of us have got our problems, all of us have got our issues. Uh, This ain't a perfect man standing up here preaching to you. I'm far from it. If you have any doubts, talk to my wife. She can point out all my faults. But my piece of advice that I want to give you is if I have just described an issue that you deal with or that you have problems with, I have to watch myself. I have that problem sometimes when I go in, you know, another church as a visitor or whatever. I watch a little too much sometimes. Here is my advice for you to be the best thing that you ever did for your spiritual well-being. Don't sit in the back row anymore. Come sit on the front row. You'll not see nobody but the preacher and you won't hear nothing but what you need to hear. My goodness, that's just good old-fashioned hillbilly common sense, ain't it? Take somebody as dumb as me to point that out. But anyways, here's my response to I can't go sit in church with that bunch of hypocrites. You've got a choice to make. You can either come sit with them in church for what the Bible describes as just a Man, I just lost it. Just a a vapor, that's it. Just a vapor, right? This life is so short. If you don't believe me, ask somebody old like Jimmy after service. He'll tell you how short life was, and it was just a moment ago that he was as young as I am. All right? Sorry, Jimmy, I can't resist. You're either going to sit with them in church for that short vapor or you're going to spend an eternity with them in hell. You pick. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot let somebody else and someone else's actions be the reason that you don't serve God, that you don't do what... God did not... You, I challenge you, I dare you... Uh, we will take time and, and set aside and discuss it all you want. I challenge you to find a place in the Bible where God says, I've organized this thing and put it together called church or the assembling of the saints, and it would be good for you to go, but it's totally optional. Totally optional. Just if you feel like it and you can fit it in your schedule and it kind of works for you, then it would be good for you to go. You'll not find that nowhere in the scriptures. What you will find is like what it says, I believe that's Hebrews 10, 25. Not verse 25, it's really close to that. Where he specifically commands us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. 
And then he goes on and says, you know, he talks about exhorting, encouraging one another. And then he says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Whenever the scripture talks about the day like that, there's only one day it's referring to. It's referring to the coming of the Lord. It's referring to the second coming. However you want to say that, it's referring, talking about when Jesus comes back. Right? The Bible teaches us through and through, over and over, right, that there's going to be a period of time, right, at the end of time, right? And we can debate how long it is, if it's seven years, if it's three and a half years, if it's whatever. Put whatever number on there you, you want. It doesn't matter. It, it specifically teaches there is a period of time at the end where things are going to progressively get worse and it's going to get rough and there's going to be some bad stuff that happens. And God said that this assembly of ourselves together, it is so important for our spiritual health. Have I told you what I'm preaching about this morning? I'm preaching about a spiritual fitness test, right? A, 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 a spiritual checkup, however you want to call that. And so anyway, and I don't, at the rate I'm going, I'm not sure that I'll get through it this morning, right? I may have to finish it next week or whatever. But anyways, uh, God says, that as you see the day approaching. Now, I don't know where you stand on the things that you see going on in the world, but I'll tell you where I stand, right up front. And I'll be first to tell you, I don't know for sure just what I feel and what I think from my time of reading and studying the Scripture. And I'm not the only one that feels this way, but I feel like that we live on the very cusp of the very last days. I know this for a fact. We're closer to the end than what we've ever been before. And with what I see happening throughout the world and in the land, friend, let me tell you something. If you ain't ready, there ain't no, I wouldn't walk out them doors today for everything the world has to offer without being ready. You realize that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trump, the last trumpet tells us that that's going to be the, 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 that old archangel, right? I assume it's Michael. I've heard others say Gabriel. I don't know. But anyways, he's going to open his mouth. He's going to blow the trump of God. That is going to be it. The Bible tells us that he, that he is going to stop time, split that eastern sky, step out, glory to God, that's it. That's like the door of the ark shut, shutting, right? That is, look, if you ain't on, if you ain't loaded, if you ain't in Christ, if you ain't ready to go, you missed your chance. And listen, I believe with all my heart that we're right on the cusp. And I would not leave here for everything the world has to offer without knowing that I was ready. Because look, when that happens, everything this world's got to offer ain't going to be worth nothing. Nothing. All the riches the world has to offer, it's going to be, what good is that going to do you? It's going to be burned up and it's going to be gone. Hey, what good is, is all the riches, all the land, all the power, right? The best job in the world, the, 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 the best looking uh, wife or girlfriend or, 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 or husband or boyfriend or whatever the case may be, right? What good will any of that do you in hell? Will you even care about those things? I remember Jesus talking about a certain rich man who had it all in this world, but yet whenever he died, 
One day he lifted up his eyes in him. And, and just in, without going through and preaching that whole thing, the bottom line was is he bet. He bet. Right? He, he basically, in my own words, said, if I'd have known, if I'd have realized how real hell is and what it's really like, I'd have made some different decisions. I'd have done things different. And he begged, he said, if somebody could just go back to my brothers and just tell them before it's too late not to come to this place. My, do you know how many has went before us that are feeling and saying that exact same thing right now? They might be saying that about you. Well, I ain't, been, I ain't dead, not yet. But I've been sent here to tell you and to warn you. You don't know where they are. And God's made it where you don't have to. Ain't that something? God did not want us to die and go to hell so badly that he gave his only begotten son. Right? The very best he had to offer Now, I'm just going to be honest with you for a second. My son can be kind of goofy, and sometimes I get kind of upset with him, and there's been a few times I thought I was on the verge of killing him myself. And as much as I might love you and care for you, I'm not sure that I could trade his life for yours. I'm just being honest. not sure I could make that decision. not sure I could give him up. And he ain't no Jesus. I can tell you that. Ask me afterwards. But God gave His only begotten Son. Died on Calvary's cross, took our sins, the only one to never know sin, took our sins upon Him. Shed His lifeblood so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be reconciled with God, so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, go to heaven. It's done. It's bought. It's paid for, fulfilled, bam. You have got a pardon sitting there waiting on you. All you have to do is accept it. That's it. All you got to do is just accept what God has already done on your behalf. And yet, I started to say thousands. That's not right. Millions. Millions. We might be to the point that billions have known that and rejected that and chose the pleasures that this world has to offer which are short and don't last very long I've seen a lot of people when they were young party and live it up and have a good time and think they really live in life but if they don't die young and they happen to make it to at least Jimmy's age or older They start to regret it. I don't think I've ever met one that didn't, if they'd just be honest with you and sit there and talk to you about it, that didn't start to suffer the consequences and regret decisions as they had made. You know why? Because what God has got for you is way better than anything the world has got to offer. I didn't get saved until I was 27 years old. I was not raised in what you would consider a Christian home. I, I had parents that if you would ask them, 
uh, do you believe in Jesus? Are you a Christian? Yes, 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 yes. Did they talk to me about Jesus? No. Did they take me to church? No. Did they, I mean, anything that parent ought to do when it comes to that kind of stuff? No. Did they ever pray with me? No, not a single time. My mother or father never once. They loved me. They cared about me. I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm just saying that's just the choices they made, and that's just where they was at. So I wasn't raised in church. I didn't realize, you know, and I was 27 before I got saved. And I was an adult. I don't recommend anybody wait until they're 27 to get saved. I'd say you ought to get saved as soon as you realize you need to be saved. But the one positive thing, looking for something positive and waiting that long to get saved, the one positive thing I can say is I've lived on, as a young man, I have lived on both sides of it. I've lived on the devil's side and I've lived on God's side, right? I've done the things that I wanted. I've fulfilled the lust of the flesh. I've done all them, them worldly, ungodly things, whatever my heart's content was. And then I have on the other side after salvation lived solely for God and done what he wanted and I can tell you right now that there is no comparison between the two you know one of the things that held me back for just a little while God dealt with me for a while before I got saved one of the things that held me back for a little while is I thought I wouldn't have no fun I thought everything that I enjoyed doing I wouldn't have to do and I thought my life would be dull and boring and stupid. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you get what I'm saying. And I was wrong. <laughs> I can't tell you how wrong I was. I got better friends now than I ever had then. I got better family now than what I ever had then. I actually make less money right now than I have ever made in my a life as an adult, but yet I seem to have more. Now, I'm not preaching no gospel of prosperity or anything like that. I'm just saying God's good. God takes care of his people. I'm saying the life that God wanted me to live was a whole lot better than the life that I wanted to live, that I thought would make me happy. It didn't make me happy. It made me miserable. And I didn't realize just how miserable I was until after I started living for the Lord. So, I'm at least going to get point one done today. <clears throat> There's a word that appears here in this. I didn't even finish telling you the outline of, of the book of 1 Timothy. I got stuck on chapter 4. Don't be a hypocrite, right? He tells Timothy to go on to grow in the word, uh, in the grace and the knowledge. And, and in, in other words, he's telling him how to be a good minister and how to be a good Christian. And then the last two chapters of the book, chapter 5 and 6, Paul speaks about the aspect of ministering God's word. And he specifically talks about seven different groups of people. And if you haven't figured it out, probably every one of us fit maybe in one of these seven different groups of people. But, they, but we definitely uh, have a duty of as Christians to minister to these different groups of people. And so he goes through how to deal with and minister to older folks, how to deal with and how to minister to younger folks, and then widows, and then how to deal with other elders, and then uh, servants, and, and we could look at that as employees, right? False teachers. Uh, oh, thank you. False teachers and, uh, uh, and the rich and, and just these various groups. 
There's one thing as I read through and I studied, and this is what I wanted to base everything on, is I noticed the word thyself. It's in the scriptures I read to you this morning, thyself, right? It actually appears seven times. Seven times in all of 1 Timothy. Seven times in five different passages. There's one passage, which there's no way I'll get to today, that it appears multiple times. The passage I read to you this morning, it just appears one time. And so let's, let's look at that one, and, and we'll, just, we'll do this one point, and this will be a one-point sermon, and we'll be done for the day. Verse 15, let me read it to you again. Right, because verse 14, Paul is telling Timothy, I hope to come to you shortly. I hope to come see you and visit you real soon, but just in case I don't, so you know how things ought to be. But if I tarry long, right, if, in other words, if something happens and I don't get to come over there real soon, and it's a while before I get over there, I'm writing this to you, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Behave thyself. I think that's good. Not only for Timothy, not only for a pastor, but for every Christian. We ought to know how we ought to behave ourselves. Christians ought to be, they ought to have a God-honoring behavior. Right? That goes along with the hypocrite thing I was talking about just a while ago. Right? We ought not to be hypocrites. We ought to know how to behave ourselves. I, I want you to notice in that one verse that the local assembly of believers is referred to as the house of God. It's referred to as the church of the living God. It's referred to as the pillar and ground of truth. This means that there ought to be reverence for the one and true and only living God who is the focus of our gathering. The focus of our gathering is not some great speaker, it's not some great singer, it's not some bunch of programs. The focus of our gathering is not some certain group that we are ministering to. The focus of our gathering is it for social reasons. All of those things I mentioned can be nice pluses, I guess, but that's not the focus. God and God alone is the focus. And so understand that the church, it is the body of Christ. So yes, I realize it is an organization that's organized based upon the scriptures, but it's also a living body. It's an organism. <clears throat> and the church is to be, this is why I had Jake put this up on the screen, preaching, teaching, and living God's truth daily. I don't know when, I started the church's website, and if you ain't ever been there, you ought to get on Google and Google it and look at it and go there. Uh, if you ever want to listen to old sermons, they're all on there. There's other stuff on there, too. But anyways, I don't remember when I started the, the webpage for the church, five, seven years ago, something like that. I took a picture. That's, that's a Bible that I've got. I took that picture laying in the floor in my study, and, and then I used an app to put that over the top, preaching, teaching, lifting the word. And it's been on the front page of our website for however long that's been, five, seven years, however long it is. I'll say, I'll say this real quick. If you ever die and I preach your funeral, that's the Bible I preach all my funerals out of. So there, you've got to look at it. Uh, but anyways, 
That was the thought. That is the very thing that God has put on my heart basically since the beginning that I've been here. It's what we need to be doing. It's not only what I need to be doing, it's what all of us need to be doing. We need to be preaching, teaching, living the Word. The Word of God, right? We gather together, we gather to preach it, we gather to teach it. When we go out, right, preach simply means to proclaim, to share it, to announce it. We ought to share that good news with other people. We ought to, if we, God gives us opportunity to teach somebody what it is the Bible is saying, then we ought to take that and we ought to teach that and importantly and the reason it's in the biggest word is the preaching and teaching do no good whatsoever if we don't got the living part down we've got to live the word of God this right here this is what you live it don't do you no good if you go out and you live like the rest of the world and then you try to preach to them or teach to them the Bible they're going to look at you and say you ain't no better than I am you ain't nothing but a hypocrite and they're not going to give any thought a second thought to what you've got to say for us to have any influence on anybody in the world, whether it's your family, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's just somebody you see in the store or your your server at the, your waitress or waiter at the restaurant or whatever, you've got to be living it. I've got to be living it. Can you imagine coming to church and listening to a preacher preach to you like I have this morning and know that when he leaves here he's going back out and he's living in sin, right? Maybe maybe he's a, having an affair on his wife. Maybe he's a, a cheat. Maybe he don't pay any of his bills. Maybe he, he, he lies all the time. Maybe when he's outside of church he, he, he cusses left and right and he's got a filthy mouth and, and or maybe he's got a, I, I don't know, you can just go through the whole list, right? Not sure that you'd come listen to him preach, and if you did, you wouldn't pay a whole lot of attention to what he had to say, would you? Do you think it's any different when you and I go out? Look, they see, and here, some of the hardest ones is family, because they know even more, and they see even more, and they've known you for a long time, maybe all of your life. But it's what we are to be doing. And so I just want to say this as I get ready to close up. The church is the family of God. And it's to reflect the character of God. And that character is good. It's all good. It's virtuous. And we, as, we are to reflect the character of God and we are to fulfill the purposes of God. Do you know what that is? God made it clear, it said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart and God's desire, right? He cared so much that he gave his only begotten son the best he had to offer. Not just so I could be saved, not just so you could be saved. Do you realize how, how selfish a thinking that is to think that once I get saved, well, that's the, you know, that was the goal, that's the end, and nothing doesn't matter after that? No. It's for whosoever will. Whosoever will hear, whosoever will accept it. That's who he died for. That's our job. So let every single believer that is here today, I want you to go out and live your lives with this precious truth in mind. Our behavior, right? Paul tells Timothy, behave thyself. Our behavior how we live, it is a reflection on Christ 
and on his church. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's definitely, if you, if you go out and you leave, leave these doors and you don't behave thyself, right? You live like the world. Yeah, it's going to reflect badly on Cornerstone. It's going to reflect badly on me. But it's a lot bigger than just that. A lot bigger. It's going to reflect on the entire church, the entire body of Christ, all Christians, right? Gandhi famously said he might become a Christian if he ever met one. What he was getting at is he'd met a whole lot of hypocrites, but he didn't feel like he ever met anybody that truly lived it. God help us that that's not me and that's not you. Our behavior, how we live, it is a reflection. Not only on this local congregation, not only on the church as a whole, but it's a reflection on Christ as well. So I'm, my call to you this morning is to behave. Behave like a Christian. Both right here in worship service. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people. Now hang on just a second, honey. There is a lot of people that will show up to church on Sunday morning and they will pray like they really strong Christians. They'll carry a Bible big enough that everybody will see it. They'll read from it. They'll find whatever place in it, right? They might even hold positions in the church. They might even know something about it and be able to participate in discussion and Bible study and Sunday school and things like that. But then they turn around and they leave and when they're not in church amongst Christians, the behavior changes a lot. I'm begging you, I'm imploring you. Don't let that be you. We gotta be the same person out there as we are in here. If you really believe it, we need to live it. If you really want to have an impact, right, if you really want to have an impact on a lost and dying world, man, we got to be living it. If we ain't living it, we ain't having an impact. We ain't making an impact. not pointing fingers at nobody, and I'm not, look, all circumstances are different, but I've seen times where these, some of the very people, like I'm talking about, and I know this because of their own confession. They raise their kids, and for years, they go to church on Sunday, and they play church. But then the rest of the time, they didn't live it. And then once they finally figured it out and, and really got right and repented of all that, sat there with them as they've cried because their children are dying and going to hell because their children have watched them play the hypocrite the whole time and they don't want nothing to do with it. They don't believe that any of it is, you know, means anything, I guess. I'm begging you, don't do that. And if it has been you, and God's speaking to you this morning, he's dealing with you this morning. 
And maybe, maybe you were that away yesterday, but you ain't got to be that away tomorrow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the altar. I'm going to ask you to stand. Now look, I'm getting ready to make this altar call, and I'm going to ask you to come. Don't think, don't stand back there and think, well, I'm not going to go to the altar and pray because everybody thinks I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to tell you it don't matter what anyone else thinks. It only matters what God thinks. And I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with you. I don't care if it's about what I've just been preaching about or if it's about something else. Maybe you've got a burden on your heart for somebody who needs prayer. Maybe God's dealing with you about your own soul. Whatever it is, I'm begging you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Don't you wait any longer. It don't, it, don't hold back. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have another opportunity. You may not have tonight. I'm begging you. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if you need to come and pray, you just come right on.